Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for the leftovers on HBO. I'm the lucky leader. And I'm Drunken Desperado. What? Why did I say what I just said? Uh, I will never reveal the secret of the Wu-Tang Clan. No? <laughs> okay. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you notice, if you're paying attention to the credits, um, Andrea asked, many, many people sent this email to us, uh, and I got it. Uh, right away, and I'll tell the story about that here in a minute, but Andrea was the first one to send it, that Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada put in their names through the Wu-Tang Clan name generator, which mm. is, if you just Google it, you can find it, and uh, they, they they were credited as The Lonely Donkey Kong and Specialist Contagious. All right, I like the second one better. Yeah. <laughs> the Lonely Donkey Kong is not great. Uh, interestingly enough, because I imagine a lot of people will, will do this, um, I looked up a couple of the names, like Kevin Garvey, mm-hmm. Unlucky Dreamer, Nora Durst, Tough Bandit. Okay. I like the Tough Bandit. Sure. It's T-U-F-F, too, so you can take it a lot of different ways. <laughs> right. Tough, tough, not tough, tough, tough Bandit. Huh. Uh, so there you go. There you go. I'm the Drunken Desperado. <laughs> All right. Um, there a lot, a lot of Easter eggs in the beginning of this. Uh, it, it, it did the uh, classic uh, leftovers credit sequence with mm. the Perfect Strangers theme song. Yeah. Now, I grew up as an unironic fan of the Perfect Strangers. Yeah. Like I, I, I still, bulky. I still think the Bibby Bobka episode is like a top ten funniest thing I've ever seen. Now uh-huh. again, I was like eleven when I saw it, but haven't still, seen it since. Yeah, uh, 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 it's, it's pretty good. So I, I immediately recognized what they were doing, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I thought I it's it's another amazing episode. What did you think? D- did you ever see any of the rap videos that they put out around Perfect Strangers? I don't think. I, so. I think there was only one. There was there was this was it Cousin Larry and Balky doing it or was it, it was about ba- yeah it was uh, Bronson Pincho or whatever yeah. his name is. Uh, Doing a really terrible rap video, and I like this was tucked away in the darkest recesses mm-hmm. of my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I was on YouTube searching around for like <laughs> theme song and stuff like right. that, and this popped up, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's right!" Yeah, it's maybe one of the worst rap videos you'll ever see. It's from there the early '90s. Was a lot of bad rap in the late '80s, early '90s. Like that was the go-to thing yeah. for like your principal to do during a right. dare conference it was the goat like bartman had a terrible yep. one the super bowl shuffle yep like oh there's a new thing let's do it without really understanding it uh, and without having any talent for it right yeah. i mean the guy my name is aaron hubbard and i'm here to say oh it's even it's i like eating that. apple pie every day because he's mean... trying to do the accent yeah at oh the really? Same time. Yeah, oh, he's God. being Balky, and oh, the whole God. thing is Balky B. It's terrible. Look it up, Balky B. Rap, if you want to. And, and we should have seen this coming because the episode. I mean, yeah. Um, this is a in, this is a joke inside joke of the leftovers that does run through it. In the first season, it was revealed that the entire cast of Perfect Strangers, uh, what you know, in, in, in like one of the background things, one of the odd little statistical happenings, the entire primary cast of perfect strangers mm-hmm. uh, departed yeah then in second season it was revealed that marklin baker had actually been hiding out in mexico because he couldn't deal with the strain of being the only principal cast member that that wasn't yeah here this episode is don't be ridiculous which mm-hmm. is balky's catchphrase yep. that's like you know urkel's did i do that mm-hmm. uh and it features a cameo not even a cameo, a, a guest pa- star, a pretty powerful performance by Marklin Baker. Like I was impressed, and I listened to a really great interview with Damon Lindelof with uh, Andy and Chris over at the Watch Podcast on the Ringer Network, uh-huh. and uh, 
Marklin Baker is a really impressive guy. He does have two Yale degrees. Okay. And they, 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 he said, you know, as when, when we consider indigenous, we went on to Wikipedia. We said we, we did a deep, deep dive into Mark's history. And by that, I mean, of course, we went to Wikipedia. <laughs> right. And like everything just was gold. Like, oh my God. Like, you know, we, we kind of wanted this to be an intellectual appeal because we knew that if you, you just any old schmo goes to Laura Dur- or Nora Durst. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be shot down, and it's just like it's like a fit hand in glove. It's like mm-hmm. this weird inside joke that they did as, on a lark just keeps paying off. And it, it makes perfect sense that it would happen that he would come back during a Nora episode because yes. Nora is essentially him, right? In, right. In that she lost the people closest to. I'm going to say that Marklin Baker was closest to the cast of okay, Perfect sure, Strangers. Sure. That's all he had in the world, uh-huh, and they yeah. they were taken from him right uh-huh. in this this departure. Same thing happened to Nora. Exactly. Like when he says, you know, four out, uh, like one out of four, what are the odds? And she has done the calculation yeah. because she's in that exact situation. Right. It makes perfect sense. You yeah, should, no. We should have seen it coming. Yeah. It's it's great, but just um, it's, you know, like just everything is, they just have all these fundamentally silly concepts like Mark Lynn Baker coming and pitching this to Nora, that Nora would cover up her kid's. That Nora would have a Wu-Tang Clan tattoo Uh and how she would get it and that she would do trampoline therapy with Erica. And it's (laughs) like if I – I'm thinking if we just got a random email that asserted this last week, we'd be like, this, oh, fuck off. Right. Fuck off. (laughs) But they do it. And they do it with us in the style that they do it, and it's solid gold. Yeah, so we we are on the mailing list for HBO. Yeah, uh, and we saw a couple of images from this before, like late Friday, right before the episode aired. Uh-huh. And you were looking at them, and you're like, "Is that a Wu Tang?" Yeah, I saw I saw Nora with this. That she, I said, "Oh, she's got her cast off." I'm like, "Is that?" Because, and here's the thing. Like, you can back me up on this. Like, four or five weeks ago, I said on lunch, because we, we talk, you know, one of our, you know, this is a little stealth ad for Club Bald Move, but we do this thing on Fridays where it's lunch with Jim and Aaron. Mm-hmm. We talk about random bullshit, and we take Q&A from the audience, whatnot. Yep. And I mentioned that, like, one of my little uh, cultural black holes is I'd never heard the Wu-Tang Clan. Right. And I just, like, okay, I'm like, okay, well, I've got, you know, Google Play, like, you know, the 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 the, the paid version of that, and they've got the entire catalog, so I'll go ahead. Enter the Wu-Tang uh, clan and listen to it, and it's of course fucking amazing. Obviously, like anytime yeah. someone says like the, a seminal work of anything, if you don't like it, you're probably an asshole. Uh-huh. And I try not to be an asshole, and it's amazing. So like there again, like this show continues. I feel like it's fucking made for me. Yeah. Like I just got into Wu Tang Clan. Are you kidding me? And then five <laughs> weeks later, Nora Durst shows up with a Wu Tang Clan tattoo. In her yeah, arm. the most random possible thing for Nora. Get right out of my head, Damon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's great. So yeah, of course I like. Now it's so weird because you you you, you deal with these rarefied airs, right? Uh, in in um, this television show, and I was trying to think uh, on my way to the studio today that I actually like this better than the last last week's episode, mm. and I I don't think so, but I don't even know what that means because like last week it was just such a joy to see this world back and to get re reconnected right. to all the characters and um you know Nora's one of my favorite characters um what does it mean like if if this episode's not as good as last week's what does it even mean right um yeah what, at this can point, i ask you like, your opinion what did you yeah I, I thought this episode was really good um uh-huh. again you know it's it's been on a run since really the beginning of season two so i i I hesitate to even compare the episodes to each other at mm-hmm. this point. Like, I will compare it to other shows. That's a good point, because you're right. From season... Or I'll even go back to, like, the finale of yeah. season one. Yeah. 
I don't think this ep- this show has had a bad episode yeah. or even like an average episode, and that's yeah. crazy. I, I it's very rare to say that about any any television show. Yeah. So I and I don't know that you know it's really fair to compare like oh is the Nora episode better than the Kevin episode right. or the Matt episode and uh, they do things you know, seem they like do, they're going to that well though they're they are yeah. up the characters for the most part and and they're kind of already trying to spin the mythos of this season into yeah. it like what what is the deal with these this pack of women running around obviously the four horse swim trying to find the, the Kevin yeah. right the uh-huh. the Kevin mentioned in the book of Kevin uh-huh. I don't know how she got her hands on that that's got to be a flash that that's got to be a flash forward right got to be yeah I mean that book is probably coming with them to Australia unless my theory about Michael surreptitiously putting out the book of book yeah. of Kevin in some kind of digital format on the internet yeah yeah Throwing oh it out there on on a BitTorrent, Amazon three ninety nine ebook. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, <laughs> that would probably kill your holy book faster than anything, right? <laughs> Putting it on the Amazon ebook store, the Kindle store. I know, sell for a dollar. I mean, shit, I sold an improbable amount of copies of my Walking Dead book way back when. <laughs> yeah, but I could see going to Amazon <laughs> for that. But your holy uh, books, yeah, yeah, your your prophetic uh, visions, maybe not. I just wonder, like, with all the weird subgenres of internet i wonder if there isn't like you know that isn't like a little boom oh. town like just probably weird burgeoning... post-apocalyptic literature there's probably like burgeoning religions right? on the internet that yeah. i just don't know about right? you haven't heard of the book aaron yet i have not no. uh or as he's as is his uh, prophetic name drunken desperado <laughs> right well for a do- oh, i have for, heard of that guy for dollar 99 you can you can find out all about him on amazon <laughs> Hey, before we get into further uh, discussion of the episode, want to do some housekeeping real quick. I uh, want to shout out Michael Narwak- Nar- Narraki, um mm. for being a real gent. He sent us four bottles of booze through the mail. As, as you know, our custom is when, we're, when we, we drink, when we podcast. And when we podcast really good stuff, we like to drink really good, you know, scotch and, and whiskey. Yeah. Uh, for our last season of The Leftovers... Uh, he sent three bottles to us, uh, a Glenn Morangi for Jim, McAllen for me, and Copper Fox for my wife, Cecily, to enjoy throughout. And we've already started doing that, so thank you very much. He also sent a uh, an, another bottle for an upcoming commission podcast project. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, thank you for that. That was uh, an un- unexpected treat. Yeah. Uh, I went from, like, skepticism when I got a big box that sloshed around to open delight. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for that, Michael. Um, also, this this week we just released a podcast on the Nicolas Cage version of the Wicker Man. Yeah. Uh, oh man, and it's a hoot. Uh, we're also recording a wrap up of season two of Sci-Fi's The Expanse with our pal Levi tonight. That will be out sometime this week. We also have first run movie The Circle with Tom Hanks in it um, this week. We also have continuing coverage of Better Call Saul and Fargo. If you can't get enough Carrie Coon, guess what? You can get more Carrie Coon and malfunctioning equipment in Fargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got coverage of all that stuff. Pretty packed week, uh, which is going to be all of our weeks for the next 8 to 10. Um, so check those out at baldmove.com. So before we get into – before we start talking about, like, you know, the details of the episode, I want to talk about the relationships and themes okay. around Kevin and Nora because I was thinking about this a lot after I watched the episode because I've observed that Kevin – I think Kevin and Nora are – genuinely in love yep they do have this pattern where 
like they declare emotional bankruptcy. Like I've been doing all this weird shit. Oh, you've been doing all this weird shit. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're now open. We're going to be open and honest with each other. And, you know, this started from like, you know, like Nora saying, I don't know how to talk to you. And right. Kevin revealing like all the weird shit that he's been doing. And they 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 get back together and have a clean slate, and then they start drifting apart. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin can't tell her that he sees this dead woman. Um, Nora can't tell her tell Kevin or talk to Kevin about how badly you know missing Lily, having another child ripped away from her for reasons she doesn't really fully understand. Yeah, um, hurts. And we see in the season that like they're still going through the motions of being in love and being intimate and and close, but they're they're they they drifted apart again. Would you say they're perfect strangers? I yes, I would. <laughs> and, except for uh, I had a uh, you know someone on in in feedback asserted that, and I'd, I'd hate to drink their milk. Ah oh, shit! Well, you, I'll, you I'll drink it. it up. You drank it up. Um, so that is an interesting theme. I also and and I don't know how where this is going. Because in Lindelof's podcast with with Chris and Andy, he they they talked about how the flash forward or whatever you want to call it, um, and there's reason to doubt maybe that it's a flash forward after this episode, um, puts things in a pretty bleak perspective as far as if you're a Kevin and Nora, you know, shipper. Yeah, he's nowhere to be found. The mention of a possible Kevin right. seems to. Uh bring back some maybe bad memories but it's also or... interesting because it's hard for me it, when when i looked at when i look at tom and damon and they've had at the end of every season they didn't know they're going to get another season mm-hmm. so they went in designing a season finale that would work as a series finale sure and every single one has ended on a emotionally positive note it's hard for me to believe that this knowing that it's going to be the end that they're just going to put now that they're going to put the emotional screws to us mm-hmm. um so i'm put I'm, I'm kind of taking that as an, a matter of faith because to say otherwise you'd have to say damon lindelof when he's not sure he's going to get another one goes for happy places when he knows he's going to be wrapping things up he just fucking takes a brick bat to your head okay and I, I don't that doesn't make any sense to me yeah i i don't know um, Maybe it's revenge for everyone saying how bad Law sucked. I don't know. Right. I don't. I don't have the established patterns of of Lindelof kind of in my my book of tricks here. Yeah. So um, not sure where he's going to end this thing. But uh, really, it's about the journey, right? Right. As much as the show has been about the journey, I think watching the show is also about the journey. Uh, the other thing I want to talk uh, touch on Nora is things in previous seasons that we've heard asserted about her. Okay. Uh, we've heard asserted by a scientist that she is the human instrument of the demon Azrael. Mm-hmm. Um, and when was that? That I was in last. That was when she had this phone call where you know the scientist had talked about how they've been studying and there's something yeah. special about her, and they're like you know kind of similar to Kevin listening to Dean and he, he starts talking about dog DNA, and then the soundtrack goes. Uh, mm-hmm. She was like listening, like you know, with with like rapt attention. He goes, "We we believe that you are the human agent of the demon Azrael." And then she's like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Um, <laughs> right. But it's interesting because like that is uh, that that demon Azrael has a tradition in Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and they all assert different things about him. Hmm. Uh, that he one is like he's the angel of death. One is that he is responsible for 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 making sure souls survive the, the the safe the safe transit from earth to heaven one that he is the one that organizes and sorts prayers incoming into heaven and delivers them to god um that's all interesting 
The other thing that was asserted about her is that she has a lens. Do you remember that theory? Mm, not really. There's some people that on that that uh, have some kind of lens effect, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. The departure didn't affect them, but there's an unusual statistical concentration of departures around them. Right. Um, all of these, I guess, to say that these are all designed to seemingly to make Nora feel like she doesn't have control of her own life, and that she, some of these things are her fault. Sure. So if I just want to just put those out there so we can kind of to, to look at her behavior going forward because in this episode I think what what Mark Lynn Baker said to her that really resonated mm-hmm. was that he is a very smart person that is tired of being jerked around and he wants control. Yeah. So and um, she, she feels that sympathy with him kind of in the same position that she was yeah. or is. Uh, first up, so so branching off of that, I guess we can start talking about the the episode the episode proper yeah what, is there anything that's interesting that ties into nora's uh both thematically and maybe in some, some theory craft with with nora's failure to get electronic things to work for her yeah i was trying to figure that out um and i'm kind of stumped on it like i don't know why and it's not just her right it seems to be tied more to like the action she's doing rather than her doing the action because like when she goes into the the airport and she can't right. get the terminal to work. Neither can the, the service agent there. Right. right so, right. um, and, and it, I, I'm trying to figure out what the goal of, of this is like, what right. is it trying to prevent her from doing or right. what is it trying to say to her? Right. Um, I mean, it, it seems to be just a reminder that she is very disappointed in the fact that she is no longer a mother. I mean, that is yes. that is basically what I'm getting out of it because she's trying to, first of all, travel, and it says, do you want an infant on your lap? If she says, no, no, I don't have an infant on my lap, right. and the machine won't let her choose no. She wants to go visit her daughter. She tries to go visit the her daughter, and the machine says, says no. no. She wants to return home to her family. The machine says no. It's almost right. like these are barriers that she then thrashes yeah. or gets around or subverts. Interestingly, and completely coincidentally, coincidence in the same like you know general supernatural sense of the, the departure itself. Mm-hmm. In Fargo, this is I, I, I saw this discussion on Reddit and uh, people were crying uh, Fargo spoilers. But this literally happens in the first fifteen minutes of the first fifteen episode. This is a fucking character premise. It's not a goddamn spoiler. Uh-huh. But Nora Durst plays a, a role in the new Fargo, and yeah. her first scene in the, the show is a door sensor fail, failing to oh, recognize right. her and open, and, and open for her. Yeah. This has got to be one of the great coincidences of all time. <laughs> it's pretty good. Like, like less than three days separate, Nora, uh, 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 Carrie Coon, mm-hmm. I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm referring Nora to her as Coon, her character name. Carrie Durst. Uh, Carrie, Carrie Coon. Uh, can't get a door to open for her, and then she has a series of technological uh, breakdowns. Yeah. But I, I think that that's another thing of, like, her, the universe trying to put her in a box and tell her what she can't do and her saying, fuck you to the universe. Yeah, I mean, it It can also be, like, a... So I, I read um, a Watching the Leftovers.com article. I think that's HBO's official... Yep. Leftovers blog. Right. Their propaganda uh, arm. Yeah. Where they were interviewing Nora, or Carrie Coon, rather. Um, and she was talking about Nora in season three and how in season two she was very much more hopeful than she kind of starts out here in season three. Mm-hmm. Um, in season two, she had just moved to a new place. She had just acquired a new family, essentially. Right. Uh, and she was trying to be 
that person again. She was trying to reclaim the identity that she lost when her family was raptured, you mm-hmm. know, departed. Um, and and that always and she was talking about how that always feels like a veneer a veneer on Nora. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like she is fully coming to terms with the question of who am I or yeah. or like identity questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that like magnified in this episode, right? Everything that she tries to do around family is either um, thwarted somehow, like supernaturally uh, or attempted anyway uh, to be thwarted. Or it is a reminder of the fact that these people are gone and now you are left and you have to do something, you know, with your life. Yeah. You have to be a person. What are, what are you going to do with that? And it's not defined by a third party or right, another right. human being. And she's still like maniacally gripping on to this. I'm a mother. I'm a family mm-hmm. uh, woman. That kind of thing. Whereas maybe she should just take a step back and say, who do I want to be? Who can I be? What, so do you think – I mean I, I know what I think. But do you think that it's a fundamentally a healthy thing that she laughs Kevin – laughs in Kevin's face about the suggestion of having a baby? Uh, at this moment, yes. I don't think at this moment that that's a good idea for either of them. Because if, 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 if her arc or what she needs to do is define yeah. her own happiness about – you know, a, a, a around herself – you know, and I do believe that. Like, if you are an unhappy person, getting into a relationship is is fraught with peril because yeah. you, if you're not ha- if you can't, if you're not happy with like or love yourself, then how in the world can you possibly have a healthy relationship with another person? Right. Um, it happens all the time. People do it. You know, because we mm-hmm. all we make unhealthy decisions all the time. Yeah, uh, but right shit, now before I'm... recording this podcast, I ate a fourteen hundred calorie burrito. That's not good. Well, but I do it. I do it, it because I uh, don't know any better. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but, but yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting because, like, that's you know, he handed her on a silver platter. Hey, I will make you a mother again. Yeah, with the quote unquote love of your life, and mm-hmm. she she turns him down. Now she asserts that that she's happy, and he asserts that he's happy too. I think that both of them are lying. But that goes back to the, this conversation we discussed. Huh. You know, that we started early on that the, both of these people they're in a trajectory that's drifting further apart. I guess. I mean, I think they could certainly be happy together. I oh, I yeah. think that maybe they just have issues outside of the relationship that they're trying to figure out that are making them unhappy. But right. maybe in this relationship, they are or certainly could be happy. Right. I haven't, you know, because I, I don't know if I've told this on the, the podcast before, but there's something a therapist said to me once about, you know, personal growth and development that, you know, you, you wake up and you find yourself in a deep, dark hole. You don't know how you got in there. You don't know how you got. You don't know how to get out. You struggle and you struggle. And you finally pull yourself out of the hole. You walk down the street and bam, you fall in the hole again. Mm-hmm. And this time, you understand better which 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 road you know uh, you got there. And it's not as big of a struggle. You get out of the hole. You walk down the street and then you fall in the fucking hole again. This time you're a pro. You get out of it expertly. You go to walk down the street and you actually turn left and go down a different street. Yeah. That's like the different levels of personal growth. Mm-hmm. And I don't obviously – and that that most people that are recovering from whatever uh, or trying to better themselves have kind of a similar struggle where, you know, you can't just stop the patterns that you've been sucked into. You can't yeah. make the trauma go away. I think that Kevin and and, and Nora keep falling in his hole. Mm-hmm. Um and I, what I don't know is, are they getting better at getting out? And do, does, is their turning left going to mean 
going their separate ways mm-hmm. because fundamentally they're tied together. Like they're 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 what's what's brought them together is their shared pain and trauma from these events that happened to them. Yeah, you know, and it's for very different reasons. Like Nora lost everyone, Kevin lost no one, mm-hmm. but in losing no one, he also lost his family for a time. Like you know, they're like departure adjacent, I guess. Yeah. Um, they 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 finally wake up one morning and be like, you know, the thing that brought us together is this grief and a trauma, and we're not traumatized or grieving anymore, and we don't really have that much in common. Look at you, you're t- covered with tattoos. I just had the Wu Tang <laughs> logo, <laughs> the Wu Tang band. Might have intentions of catching up. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I uh, don't know, and that's the that's yeah, the thing. That, like, uh, I and I can see them parting ways mutually as a emotionally positive thing at the end of mm-hmm. this the season the 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 series as well. Honestly, I could. Man, it's hard for me to judge who, kind of is, maybe closer to avoiding those holes, right? Yeah, closer to avoiding the pits. I think Nora is. So far this season, more on the path. Now, well, I think she, that's going to change when Kevin gets to Australia and, yes. and does some shit with his dad, most likely, is my guess. Well, so, I mean, this goes – some of this is, like, how you choose to look at this evidence. Because one of the things I was struck mm-hmm. by is, you know, Nora's very playful and dismissive about Kevin's book. Yeah. And she clearly is, like, you know, the rational hero. She's the one, like, that's that's against bullshit – and woo and rigmarole and all that other mm-hmm. bullshit, uh, flim flam, as uh, James Randi once put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Kevin starting to buy his own press. You think so? And you know, pace our conversation about you know preseason about like what is the rational choice to make here mm-hmm. to believe in the supernatural because you've you've seen your or to can you know steadfastly insist no this is just a coincidence. I think it's interesting that they themselves like. Why is because why isn't Laura or Nora? I don't know why I keep doing that. Why why is Nora went to Jarden and Miracle on a leap of faith? Mm-hmm. That wasn't a rational decision. No. Why is she steadfastly refusing to admit that? Like, hey, this book actually lays out a pretty compelling case for you that that there's something special. Uh-huh. I don't know what that is, but she's like you know she just continues to to, to wrap all these conversations up and this irony and also, I, I mean I. I also don't know what Kevin thinks about this because Kevin, you know, he's a guy, he's an actor portraying a person to have an emotional reaction. And I think he's pretty transparent to see that he's not good. Mm -hmm. He's not okay with this. He thinks there's something. Nora just ignores it. Right. But I don't know if it's like that's only something that we as the audience are supposed to pick up on or we're we're supposed to notice that Nora is not noticing it. Do you have yeah, any opinions I, on that? Uh, yeah, I, what I want to see is more of what Kevin is actually doing um, before I'm I'm going to be sure uh, where he's headed this season because we don't actually know if he does take this bag off every time, right? I mean, he might be going to the hotel every day, every exactly. morning. Exactly, right. Um, we're not sure just how deep this, this problem goes with yeah. him um, and what he's doing to remedy it. So... Right. I don't know which one is farther along the path toward, you know, maybe some kind of uh, healing, I guess. But they both look to be pretty far from it at this point. Yeah. Like Nora's chasing down essentially what is her bag on the head, which is this machine that ionizes you with radiation. Right. And then you go to the place where the people, the 2% went. 
Uh, and she's she she's says, doing exactly like, the same thing Kevin is. Yeah, Mark, look, you get in this box and you'll just be disintegrated. Right. And she knows it intellectually, but, but emo- emotionally yes. she is chasing this idea and also, of motherhood, of, it's very, it's, of it's also family woman. Her rational mind is very it's, – it's easy to say – I mean this is such a, a story in one episode. Uh, her mm-hmm. rational mind is saying, ah, I'm going to stick it to these fuckers. I'm going to expose them and I'm going to – I'm going to strike a blow for righteousness. Yeah. But also this would be a good opportunity to go see my daughter on the company dime. Yeah. Like there's that that this this going to Australia. Yes, she wants to expose this and say, but also, what if it's true? Right, right. Which the other thing, and 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 before we move on from Kevin and and Nora, I also think it's interesting that Nora just can see right through Matt's bullshit. Like she says, I can see the lie wheel spinning in that, your head. I feel like that's a brother sister thing, right? But I also think that she's just a, a pretty sharp, emotionally perceptive person because that as too. Matt Matt yeah. says, like, when have I ever lied to you? And, you know, obviously this is hyperbole, but she says, well, that one time when I was four or five and our house was burning down the parents inside and you said they're already hep and he comes back yeah. and says they are which is interesting because from Matt's perspective that I and I believe him, that's not a fly. Right. He's so it's he possible. may be saying things that are false, but he believes them. Right, and it's, so it's possible that Matt's never told her a lie, but she asserts that she can still tell when he's being dishonest, but she can't pick up on Kevin's very amateur and ham-fisted attempts to conceal emotional truth from her. Well, that's what I think. I don't buy it. That, that's why I think you know the brother-sister relationship here is hmm. the, the thing that really makes or breaks, because you can always tell with your family members, people you've spent your entire life with, a lot more about them than people you just met along the way right right, right. so I, I don't know maybe she just doesn't know kevin well enough right um on on the other hand i also think that it's weird because this is an instance where they both could have come clean with each other because she caught him yeah doing aberrant behavior and she could have you know like i feel like in the previous season she goes well i just broke my own arm to keep you from seeing his tattoo and like told that story to him and she can't I don't know. It feels like something's fundamentally different in their relationship. I feel like this might be a, a conversation they have. Yeah? It, it might come out that they either had this conversation off screen or they're going to, in a future episode, have the conversation. Because the natural question here mm-hmm. is, what the hell did you get that tattoo for? Right. Not, not even like that interrogative of a tone, but like... Just inquisitive, right? No, Kevin's yeah. going to want to know about the tattoo. If Cecily came home with a Wu-Tang tattoo right. on her forearm, I, I wouldn't be judging. I'd be like, what? I've never known you to be into the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Also, did you get it before or after you took the cast off? Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. How long have you had this thing? Yeah, you're right. We we might, you know, and they're going to be stuck on a plane together for, right. what, 18 hours or however. He's going to be looking down at her arm. I'm sure yeah, it'll come up. It might come up. Yeah. Um. So I mean, let's... there's a lot more to talk about with Nora here. <laughs> oh my I, god! Yeah, I, I really want to know exactly what Tom is getting at when he's talking to her in the car. Um, I have a vague idea, but I'm not sure the analogy that he's using is perfect. I think he's. I mean, what I think he's saying is, look, you are flirting with fucking this kid up. Uh huh. Like you've made your bed for good or ill, and now you need to lie on it because going when she's now able to recognize that you're a stranger and this is a weird thing. If you keep that up, like this, like like me having revealed that I had a parent that you know was beyond my quote unquote real parent fucked me up for a decade mm-hmm. and led led to a lot of self destructive behavior. Don't do that to Lily. But but he specifically mentions like. I went knocking on a guy's door who wanted nothing to do with me. And that's uh-huh. not the case with Nora. 
Nora would certainly want something to do with Lily. So I, well, but she's he's that's saying, why I say it's an imperfect comparison. Oh, oh, I get you're saying because like she saying. would welcome Lily with open arms, right? Right, but it's like and certain she might aspects, fuck her up like, like Christine is that parent, yeah, to Nora, and also so it's like interesting. Like Christine is both Tommy's father, and Lily is Tommy. Also, low blow to rename her. I thought that was like, oh know, yeah, that's kind of a fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Like she's got a name. She. She recognizes her name. But also, I think there's more to this story because Nora told this, like, heroic story of, like, I saw a woman in pain who'd lost her child and I didn't want to stand – my happiness to stand in her way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is this very un- emotionally unstable, flighty person in a moment of regret for who knows what reasons are coming back and trying to scam this child for God knows what purpose. Like, mm-hmm. we don't – I, I, and it's also weird that Tommy is kind of like on Christine's side after their experience together. Yeah, somehow they've they've patched things up over the last three years, I, right? I get it. Like, she was in a cult. She yeah. was very young. She got fucked up. She didn't know what to do. Hmm. And now she's grown up and regretted those decisions she's made. I just don't. And so that's Tommy. Tommy did, was in the yes. same boat, right? And, yeah, and Tommy can, like, have ultimate sympathy for her because he, yeah. he was, like, one – one person removed from the situation even. Right. So I, I wonder if we're going to get more of that through some kind of flashback or some more, you know, um, I hope we get Erica some more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was nice to see her. I wasn't – we weren't sure, you know, if she was dead, if she was yeah. uh, out of the country or – Right. Um, but she seems to be living just there in, in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood in Texas there, yeah. I mean, maybe not in Miracle anymore, but right. certainly someplace with an easy drive of it. Near near Austin? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, I thought that 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 whole thing I like would like to know more about because I, I it's, it's just weird that Nora's such a fighter. I mean, what she said, because here's the other thing is like in the first, we were introduced to her as this person who's this heroic, heroic, heroically persevering through all this loss. Mm-hmm. She is a defender of justice and truth in the Department of Sudden de- uh, Departures. She tells her inspiring story to help other people feel good. But then we know in her personal life, she acts out by, you know, breaking things in public and having people be sympathetic and having a prostitute shooter in the chest with a, mm-hmm. a, a handgun. Right. I, so, I, like, this again, like, the fact that she's put on this mask of, like, oh, I'm the selfless martyr, I wonder what that's hiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's also interesting that she... Or, or telling, I guess, into what she's thinking when she takes the picture of this pillar guy, this dead pillar guy, places it over this, you know, Jesus Christ-like uh, imagery of him out in the square there. I love that she's, painting, of which will of, of the, the, the of the pillar guy in the robes being, with being the flowing raptured. beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's his ascension. Uh, she feels like it's sort of co. Like co-opting, falsely co-opting her experience, you know, like these people who have not actually lost anyone are trying to get in on like her her monopoly, right? Her claim to fame, or not even her claim to fame, because I don't think she likes this fact. But she, what she she hates people that can't cope with a with what she perceives as less of an emotional load than she does. Right, and it ties in with what Erica said, like right? That Erica drives her fucking crazy, the fraudulently get sympathy, the fraudulently yeah. be a martyr. 
especially as it relates to the departure, because she has had that's holy ground the most significant uh, experience with that. Yes, but but it goes right back to what Erica was telling her. Look, I the reason I'm not going insane about Evie is because I got closure. Right. I got to bury her. Uh, I know what happened to her. You have no idea, Nora, and that's like far worse than just having someone die. Right is just having someone disappear and not knowing anything about it. Yeah. Um, how do you score the fight between her and Tommy? Tommy tries to relate, I think, gently, like, give her guidance for, you know, like, I understand what you're doing, but think of it from Lidler's perspective, think of it from Christine's perspective, think about if this is healthy from you. And he's like, you know, I can just say, like, I just wish that, you know, my mom and dad had never told me about my quote-unquote real father. And she goes, well, I wish you never left me, Lily, for me to find. And he comes back with with the fatality. He Mm -hmm. says, I didn't leave her for you, Nora. I left her for my father. I didn't even know you existed. Yeah. And I walked away. And you can tell that that, like, really landed home to Nora. Did you think that was exceptionally vicious of Tommy? Was that him trying to straight talker to help her was that it's tough uh, to tell. i mean that uh that's a cracking in this this uh this weird family that i i didn't like seeing yeah just because like you know it feels like yeah and i just you know i selfishly i if i if i wrote these dramas everyone would get along and everyone would be happy and support each other and it'd be super <laughs> super fucking boring so i'm glad i'm not writing it but that's kind of right. what i want and they're not they're not doing that i felt like that was maybe I mean, it's it's another instance where Tommy is too traumatized to relate. He tried to relate to someone, and they threw it back in his face, and he's like, oh, yeah, well, fuck. Like, like if Tommy is trying to achieve an objective, he betrays it by twisting the knife. But he can't help yeah. it because he's too close to the thing as well. Right, yeah, it's, it's almost uh, sad in that way, just that these are <laughs> two broken people working with their own issues and not helping each other in any way because of it. Right. Uh it's rough. I gotta say though, if if you're if you're Kevin and someone's gonna walk in on you uh asphyxiating yourself, it, Nora's the perfect person for this to happen with, right? One hundred percent perfect. She is the one who you don't have to say a goddamn word. She, yeah, she gets judge it. you. She accepts. Like, and that's she understands. She's done this exact same thing. And, and I'm fairly sure early on last season, I was exasperated with Kevin because why yeah. are you hiding things from this woman? Right. Like it's one thing. Like it, it's kind of like one thing if uh, you know that she disapproves or she's going to judge you or she's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that's always the that's 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 a sign of a good relationship when you've got a partner that uh, accepts and embraces you for the weird shit, you yeah. know. Like it's, it's she's not in love with this idolized version of you; she's in love with the real person, and you're fucking throwing you're throwing that away by right. hiding things from her. Yeah, and I think Kevin here is really the person keeping her at arm's length a lot of the time. Because yes, I agree. Um, Although I do feel feel like with from getting Nora's perspective. Maybe she's doing a little bit of that to him. Maybe a little, but but I really feel like she is willing to open up to some people. Like she she opens up to Erica, right? They've clearly formed a bond that is stronger, I'd say, than the one that Kevin and Nora currently have. Okay. Um, and I I blame that mostly on Kevin because he's been hiding so much from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like he's intentionally hiding things, whereas Nora is 
conflicted even internally about mm-hmm. how she feels, and she, so she doesn't even know that there are things that she should say to Kevin. Mm-hmm. Or, or if she knows that there's something she should say, she doesn't know what it is. Do you Whereas think- Kevin knows. Kevin could say, I'm seeing Patty. Yeah. <laughs> in I'm putting in my waking my life. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm killing myself potentially every morning. Did you think... I, on the second or third time I watched this, there's this throwaway conversation. I think I only noticed it because I had closed captions put on at this point. But as they're taking the elevator lift up to the man's pillar and doing his uh, personal effects collection, uh-huh. they have this conversation about how Kevin needs three hampers. Right. I need one for his gym clothes. One for my dry cleaning and one for – like, but I, I wondered if that was – Kevin's way of trying to talk about this because it seems like this is somehow tied into his need to continue to get uh, like I, I, I interpret it as somehow this is going to step up his supply of of uh, bags to tie around his head. <laughs> okay, you know, it's like this is some kind of justification for uh-huh. like 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 I yeah hey I, I'm 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 really meticulous about my laundry and and maybe a cry for help. Okay, does that make any sense to you? Sure, you see that? I like it. Uh, okay. It's a good theory. It's as good as any I've seen. <laughs> I mean, on the end, the man's got he's got legitimate laundry needs. That's true. I mean, how how many pants has he just soiled with shit when he kills himself every morning? Sure, right? Sure. Or he gets buried in mud, or he you yeah. know goes and gets in you know river mud or whatever the hell <laughs> reservoir mud. Yeah, uh-huh. it's not good. Uh, frequently shot, covered in blood. That's you mm-hmm. know that stuff. Uh, that's that's dry cleaner work right there. Uh, before we move on to from that subject, what do we make of the Pillar Man having essentially a Bible and a picture of a killer whale? I have no idea. This was bizarre to me. I have an idea that this is thematically setting up things with Kevin and or with with Nora and Matt. That Matt feels very close to this woman who has done what she can to support this person mm-hmm. who is insupportable in a very yeah. clear way that like, you know, him and him and Mary's relationship and that he's the most important thing in her life. But there's no pictures of her up there. It's just a picture of him and a whale. Like mm-hmm. he never acknowledged or that sacrifice meant anything to him. Yeah. In a, a similar way to Mary being resentful of Matt, you know, uh, you know, trying to cash Leaving. in on his years of, of, of service to her and, and using her and her kid as a prop or whatever. Uh, I think that's a an odd and simplistic reading of the situation, but that's her words. Do you yep. think that we're supposed to deliberately, you know, draw a parallel there to see that, like, you know, ultimately Matt put so much emphasis on this to an off-putting degree and you've got mm-hmm. the same situation. You find out that this guy didn't appreciate what his wife was doing at all. Yeah. I mean, certainly that could be. I, I wonder... I mean, Matt certainly doesn't know that, right? So he would see a lot of sympathy, um, have a lot of sympathy for this woman. They're also connected with this because you remember in the first season there was a lot of Job imagery with Matt, mm-hmm. and last season, you know, this 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 uh, uh, Rhett, Brett Butler character uh, was just this preacher out in the the the, the sham. The, the the slum city that they had running around outside Miracle, mm-hmm. everyone trying to get back in. Matt went to her for a loan because he was desperate to you know have a mule or a coyote get him into Jarden. Yeah, and she puts him through a couple of paces about to test his Bible knowledge. And one of the, the last question she asked him is, "What was Job's wife's name?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "She's never named, but she said to you know, if you still have integrity, curse God and die." Mm-hmm. 
What do we make of that now that we know that this is a Job? This is essentially a, a wife of of Job type figure, right? Because hmm. she, you know, that I always thought that like the biblical Job's wife was not exactly supportive. She's like, yeah, you you've had your kids killed, you've had your crops destroyed, you've had your houses destroyed, and now you've been afflicted with a painful disease, probably terminal. <laughs> like, why do you still? praise god go ahead and tell him to go to hell so he'll kill you i mean i i think she was pretty tolerant of the whole situation yeah she waited a long time to say that but <laughs> yeah you're right right it wasn't like the first time the windstorm came no. and knocked his house down killed all of his kids yeah like all right we'll we'll give that one to god we'll roll with the punches yeah yeah uh i still i still believe right but, you know once <laughs> once you have all these bad things happen uh-huh uh people who aren't quite as fervent change their mind all right I yeah I I don't know it's clear that um yeah Matt just identifies with this woman deeply and is trying to help her I don't know where we're going with that but we'll see uh, shall we talk a little do a deep dive on you know some of the stuff that came out in the Mark Lynn Baker conversation okay uh, first thematically he throws her phone in the toilet and says relax it's just hardware everything important is up in the cloud right I mean that. Yeah, that is it's reference to your body. Yeah, just being hardware. Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. Everything matters is up in the clouds. Um, he talks a mess about radiation, and I don't think the science of this is important, except for the acronym for the low amplitude Denziger radiation is ladder. Mm-hmm. And if we're thinking of biblical references, there's the vision that Jacob had of a ladder hmm. going up to heaven, and angels coming up, and angels going down. Jacob's ladder. Everyone's heard of that. Um, yeah. Do you think that is? Am I reading too much into that, or is that an intentional, you know, like like a bridge? Like this is literally a bridge to another realm, to a heavenly realm. No, no, I'm yeah. gonna say fine, a- I don't care about your prediction. opinion. Yeah, loud. That's 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 what they're trying to. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna say official prediction. Uh-huh. The guy running this is gonna be named Jacob. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's a little. That's kind of on the nose. Maybe Jacob. <laughs> Maybe he'll be Jewish. I don't sure, know. sure. Um, so the other thing. I think it's interesting if you take – does Nora look old in that flash forward I, or does she look like a woman who's been blasted with some crazy radiation that went wrong? Because you okay. think of her being a Lynn. How do you all distinguish this, the two? Well, you don't, but I'm just saying like this is a new kind of like possibilities open up to us mm-hmm. because you put together the Lynn's theory. You put together all this mechanical and electronic malfunction around her. Uh, especially when she's exercising her free will to go places. Mm-hmm. And I could see some crazy-ass thing where she's the sole survivor. Everyone else in the room is killed. And she, her response of to that is also – the other thing that made me think about is like there's this um, – another biblical story where Moses asked to see God. Mm-hmm. And God says – I can't show myself to you because would you would literally you. be blasted apart like fucking Indiana Jones uh, and the, uh, the 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 lost the the Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Uh-huh. Like you'd be blown apart. I can show you a portion of my glory. So like so he whips it out. So like Moses hid in the cave and and God's glory passes in front of the cave and it fucking irradiates Moses. He comes down from this experience. His hair is now white. His face is shining and like like described as maybe like it's like burnt and healed over or mm-hmm. also literal interpretation is it's literally shining like the sylvania man <laughs> uh but it's kind of like if you read the description it kind of matches what nora looks like in that flash forward yeah i wonder if that is an, yet another piece of biblical imagery that's going to be like this is going to be a haywire microwave experience that she's going to be the sole survivor 
And she's like, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm going to go deliver pigeons and nuns in Australia. Yeah. No, I mean, this could be part of her new identity, right? Mm. Um, that she is desperately seeking. Well, plus, you know, they, we're, Nora's got this mythology building up around her. She's the fucking demon Azrael. She's a Lynn. She's mm-hmm. all this stuff. But she's yeah. just overshadowed by 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 Kevin. Yeah, and they take it in kind of the opposite direction here, right? Nora cursed. Yes. Uh, and Kevin would be blessed, she, right? Like uh, Kevin is mess- messianic. Uh, Nora is demonic. Right. Kevin is trying to go easy on people and, mm-hmm. and be like, you know, everybody, it's, it's that old saying, it's like everybody's got a great burden, kind of be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. Nora's like, no, fuck this. This is what really happened to this guy. Suck it. Right. So there is like an evil, benign kind of attention to their to the relationship with, um, you know, everybody else in the world. Yeah, and I wonder if I wonder if they're going to push them intentionally in those opposite directions, mm-hmm. and to what end? Like, could could we see essentially what amounts to a battle between the two? Yeah, um, you know, over like the fate of the world sure. or some perceived fate of the world. Sure. When when Kevin gets anointed with the Holy Spirit and uh, Nora takes on the mantle of Azrael, there'll be this <laughs> right. like Highlander like battle. What I kind of mean with is electricity sparkling between the two. <laughs> I probably more it's, it's mundane. Essentially, than that. It's essentially the season finale of Legion. Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, it'll probably be more mundane. Like Kevin wants to go do this thing with his dad in Australia, and he believes that it'll save the world. Yeah. Nora, in her rational thinking, says you're fucking insane, and right. is trying to prevent him from doing it. Right. I can see something like that playing out. It is funny that Kevin's not the one going to Australia. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Nora, but he's you know obviously he knows his dad is there and living off the grid. It's kind of yeah. Like he didn't want to go to St. Louis. This yeah, this <laughs> the same the same way that she used St. Louis as a pretext. They're pretty flimsy one because St. Louis is not all that close to Kentucky. Oh, is, uh, was it in Kentucky? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Eminence, Kentucky. Ah. Um, so many Eminences in the there Midwest. are there are none of them none of them particularly great. No. Um, it's funny because like all these like in 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 the flyover country. You, you take pride in being from a small town because there's always a smaller town you can talk shit about. <laughs> right. Like, I grew up in Mooresville. Like, Martinsville talks shit about Mooresville. Mooresville talks shit about Monrovia. Monrovia talks shit about eminence. Uh, I think that's where it starts. Like, I, if you're in eminence, you you're like, yeah, we're kind of a shithole. There's only a yeah. – yeah, it's 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 crazy. I think at some point you get all the way down. It's like this is the lowest cast of people. They just, but, but then you can go the to, like, state pride, right? Which you can go, well, Indiana sure. is bigger than Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah so I'm from eminence, but Islanders. at least I'm not from fucking Kentucky. <laughs> Or Michigan, right. yeah. or yeah, right, right. Um, but but to your point, yeah, I mean, Kevin, Kevin is definitely using this as a pretense to get to Australia. Seems like it. Seems to, like to it. hopefully meet up with his dad. Yeah, but I think that's also if you're writing a book about him, that's an interesting detail that he's like mm-hmm. not of his own will that he was he thus conveyed to Australia. You know, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, was, I love the. I do really love Nora's like playful uh-huh. shit about kevin being like and and thus she did kiss the lips of kevin <laughs> and lo like, it was good right. well and then when all of i'm not ready to hilarious. get there but also just to, to your point it does seem like matt has written the book of kevin in his very florid biblical language right. Right. like he raised his hand unto them and they did not respond yea verily he clasped the stone to his chest and jumped into the water Seems like it's perfectly natural I, I i think i put a bit more spin onto it but it does seem like he has you know, he's writing what he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, Nora circumventing the smoke alarm. Anything there to talk about? Um, no, I mean, she doesn't want to be reminded of this coping mechanism she's using, I guess. Hmm. Oh, right, I could, right. I could 
read into it that way. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But or she, she just it. doesn't want the hit on her credit card when they find out that she's been smoking. Oh, they're going to know. <laughs> They'll smell it. They're yeah. going to fucking know as soon as they open the doors. Like someone smoked a cigarette in there. Yeah. Like it's six months ago, but we smell it. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's in there. I don't know what it is about cigarette smoke that's so fucking pungent, but it goddamn is. Yeah. Um, but I thought that that was interesting that she, in an episode loaded with technological measures being circumvented by her. Mm-hmm through no volition of her own, that she herself disabled a technological measure. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what there is there or what's there there. Um, can we talk about Nora and Erica? Erica seems okay. fine. And she yeah. attributes it to, uh, and this is, seems to be like a recurring theme, that the reason the people in departure um, can't get closures because they're, you know, we can't observe any of the judeo-christian or you know whatever burial customs we have for our people like they're just that this is a it's like a missing it's a difference between a missing person and a dead person uh erica says i "I got to mm. bury my little girl you didn't yeah i don't know if it's tied specifically to the act of burial but just like knowing what happened to them yeah yeah um because that's the thing like yeah maybe then maybe that's what it is she wasn't saying so much i got to do the custom and that's like uh, although i do think there is um, I mean, I'm a weirdo, and I don't like. I, I feel like all burial customs are rough, are all kind of creepy. Yeah, like the idea that we put people in plush boxes inside of concrete vault and preserve them to maintain their body integrity for as long as possible. Yeah, seems it's... like a fucking contradiction of the natural world, and it creeps me the fuck out. Yeah. So, There's but it, no reason to do it. A lot of people derive a lot of comfort from those things. Sure. I'm just yeah. I'm just one of the weirdos. It's like no, like I, you know, if you can, you, if you can just bury me in a hole, that'd probably be ideal. Otherwise, yeah. cremation. Um, but yeah, I guess knowing you know the difference between a dead person and a missing person is the missing person. You're always I think Nora articulated this. You're always waiting for them to walk through the door. Yeah, dead person, you know, and mm-hmm. you can get closure and move on. Uh, trampoline. Is, I mean, is there anything? Is I mean, it was a great visual mm-hmm. and slow motion trampolining to uh, Wu Tang's "Protect Your Neck," also subtitled "The Jump Off." Um, <laughs> huh. I, is there anything to talk about there, or is that just a a neat? Is Nora going to purchase a trampoline? The trampoline I'm therapy yes. real? Going to get to Australia, purchase a patch of land just for trampolines. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Trampoline therapy, I think, only she's works see because... see kangaroos, and they're bouncing around. They're obviously so happy, and that's she turns a blind eye to that. the hidden tragedy of uh, kangaroos on the highway and right. decides she's going to build a cult around bouncing. <laughs> it's the cult yeah. of Tigger. No, I think she's so happy because she's with Erica. Yeah. And and Erica seems to be a positive force in her life. And jumping on trampolines is crazy fun. It, it is fun. Yeah. L- late last year, my son talked me into taking him to a Sky Zone. Yeah. And at first, I'm like, well, I'll get you a ticket. I'll just watch it, buddy. And five minutes, I'm like, no, fuck that. Here's my money. Give <laughs> yeah. me the orange socks. I'm bouncing. And it was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> a hell of a lot of fun. Um, so do we have anything else to talk about other than the, fina- the, the, the climax of the episode? No, let's get to that. Okay. We're in Australia. Mm-hmm. We are following a chief, Kevin. Chief of police named Kevin. Um, unknown his last name, right? Yeah, I don't think so. He has a license plate, ZCU666. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here, number one. Uh, he runs over uh, one of the, the acolytes of the, the bounce, the kangaroo, 
uh, puts it out of his, his misery. He comes, he goes back to the police department and busts the balls of a deputy. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I don't understand where that fits into this right, story. Right. It, it seems to be inconsequential. Well, I mean, because I'm, I'm sitting there racking my brain trying to figure out what the hell does this mean. And yeah. the thing that I can, can come across is obviously the deputy thinks he's doing nothing wrong. This is maybe something that they do in this small town in Australia. They just mm-hmm. like, hey, nothing's going to happen tonight. Fuck off. We're going to fuck off. And it seemed like the, the chief's overreaction to this is out of character. Right. So maybe the chief is going through some shit. Maybe we'll find out what it is. Maybe we won't. Him running over to Kangaroo is like something that stressed him out or pissed him off or reminded him of it. He takes it out on the deputy, and then the four horsemen of horsewomen of the apocalypse drown him. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they think he's the Kevin Which, of the Book of Kevin. I mean, talk about you know coincidental uh, timing. Yeah, we just watched uh, Wicker Man yesterday. Which uh-huh. you said one of the worst possible ways to die in your mind uh-huh. is being killed for a cause that you don't believe in or understand uh, or, yeah. by by fanatics, and that's exactly what happens yeah. here yet again. You're right. You're right. Um, again, the show's made ex- just for me. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are doing watching it and listening to it, but it's <laughs> clearly made for uh, for for uh, what what the hell? Drunken Desperado, right? Everybody else, I you know, it's just, it's just collateral joy, I guess. Um, so they 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 dart him. Uh, they knock him out. Uh, they tie him up to a teeter totter and submerge him until he drowns. They bring him back up, and I feel like they, if they wanted to, they could have resuscitated him because a drowned person, I've I've always heard, is pretty easy. Like if you you you, you put some air into their lungs, they'll come back uh-huh. because they're not really dead yet. They're just yeah. they're just un, they're just unconscious. Mm. Um, and what was crazy about it is these women that went for you know certainty that this was that he's going to come back to life to kind of panic and in the middle of it kevin senior comes out right so what the hell is going on in this situation he doesn't seem to know these people now it may turn out that he does and this is like some wry greeting what, but yeah, like, what kind of weird coincidence would it be for these people to pick his home or place he's staying to drown this guy kevin and and how did he not know about it does he have this seesaw to the lake to the pond just there at all times like what is he doing with kangaroos i i don't know is he drowning kangaroos let me ask you this why is this built in his front yard and how does he not know about it if he didn't build it i don't i don't know was and also did they drag so the other possibility is this is the still the chief's house and and kevin senior was staying with this other kevin because like, we, I, oh, I mean, I, I'm just saying like all the different possibilities. So there's possibility A uh-huh. is this is a coincidence. These women yeah. took this this guy to this place uh, to 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 test kill him and bring him back to life. And Kevin Seniors happened to be there. Mm-hmm. Other possibility is Kevin Senior staying there, and these are kind of acolytes of his, which is, explains why they might be ahead of the curve on the book of Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe this is something that Matt is secretly sharing because they've had. They, they, you know, Matt and him have had this kind of clandestine uh, connection hmm. because remember the chief buried the money for him before right. he went off, and like you know they've they've had they've had this 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 relationship, um, and and this is all related, and I don't know what he's going to do when he comes out. Or the second opera is that this is at the sheriff's house, and Kevin is there, related to the fact that this is a chief that's Kevin, and he's a chief that's Kevin, and his son's a chief that's Kevin, and the women are just kind of interlopers in it all. Yeah, maybe he. 
There's probably other possibilities, but I mean, he might be there with a purpose, and they might not know he's there. So, if if Kevin is for some reason, because we've seen in the previews that later on Kevin Senior is going to be drowning Kevin Junior in the right. bathtub, right? Right. Presumably to prevent whatever perceived apocalypse is going to happen right. on the fourteenth. Um, present Azrael from absconding with Nora's body, surely. <laughs> right. It's the only possibility. Is it possible that Kevin is looking for other Kevins who might also fit the prophecy? I mean... Or, and fulfill the conditions? So we know Kevin Sr. is, by most definitions of the word, crazy. Okay, yeah. And he hears people, and to he... he he feels more sane when he gives in to what the voices are telling him to do. Yeah. So I could totally see him finding that there is this chief of police in this obscure small town mm-hmm. and being fixated with that. Right. Uh, that, that that feeding into his delusion. Especially if there's some kind of, you know, negative axis mundi or yeah. like, like some kind of, you know, poll right. where one side of the earth has it, the other side of the earth has it. I think we did like some GPS scoping and it wouldn't actually work out. No. Uh-uh. Um, but... Yeah, maybe he's there for a reason, and maybe they don't know about it There's also it yet. that guy from Australia in Perth that survived some kind of earthquake and a, a, colla- a, a collapse of some sort. Right, right. Roughly at the same time that Kevin survived, the earthquake saved Kevin's life. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure that will tie back in. The question I have for you, mm-hmm. has any time in the last three years Kevin called his old man and said, Hey, Dad, you contacted me through smoke signals in this international assassin hotel. Right. Do you did that happen? Like, were you some were you aware? Like, because that to me that's a burning. If if I'm Kevin and I have any curiosity intellectually at all, mm-hmm. um, and maybe he's afraid of the answer, but I'm calling, I'm finding out from my da- my 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 dad. Like, do you remember this happening? Is there any kind of? And if he says no, I don't remember at all, then like you can be like, okay, well, this is just me then, right? But for them to have that weird connection, um. I don't know. I thought that was kind of. I thought that was interesting, and the fact that Kevin never followed up on it almost beggars my belief. Is it possible that he's the reason he's suffocating himself is to communicate with his dad? It's possible. We don't know. Like we, every most of what he told Nora in this episode is a pack of lies. So why would he tell right. the truth when he goes, I always rip it off before it's too late. I don't yeah. want to die. I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. Yeah. I don't think he wants to die like in a permanent Right, but sense. he wants to use his ability in some way. So here's a piece of evidence that is confusing. Mm-hmm. When Dean the dog man came after Kevin with the gun, I read Kevin as being very afraid of dying. Yeah. If he is killing himself ritually every day, why would he be afraid of that? It's a good question. So know. that kind of leads a little credence to him. Maybe he wants to die. Maybe he wants that to happen. Mm-hmm. He wants to explore the hotel. But, you know, the the uh, human inborn desire to not self-terminate just overrides it. And he always rips. Like, he's telling her the truth. I always rip it off before it's too late. Mm-hmm. But in his mind, that's a failure, not him doing things correctly. Like, if he if he, he wants to, like, take that ride. He's just too afraid to. Yeah, maybe I, that's why his dad has to be the one that drowns him because, right? Like, because that that makes that puts that conversation from the trailer into context when he yeah. says, "You're going to have to hold me down because if left to my own devices, I will always chicken out." Uh huh. Now they don't have Patty. <laughs> now they don't have Patty as a source of strength. Yeah, I mean, he has 
tried to actively kill himself before. He jumped into that river. But that was when he was sleepwalking under the influence of Patty. Like, has Kevin... No, not the that only, final time. Yeah, the only time that Kevin has chosen oh, to die is right. when he drank the poison. Right. So... Yeah. Yeah, I... Hmm. Again, I don't have any real theories. I'm just, just trying to I'm, lay out all the information so that we can, as we're watching, nobody's left behind. No, I'm pretty quote. sure we'll see more about it. Okay. Um, we'll get more insight into that relatively um, soon. What else? Uh, you know, I, you know, ZCU 666, we already talked about that. I just want to emphasize it. Um, what else? Is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Oh, Freddie Rumson in this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, I knew that because he's shown up before in a minor role. Uh, Freddie Rumson is a guy who is a character from Mad Men. I don't know the actor's actual name. Mm-hmm. Um, but he shows up here as um, Nora's... Direct reports, maybe? Yeah. Maybe the guy yeah. that just manages her expense accounts? I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, Some guy at the DSD, for sure. Right, right. So I think that's all I have to talk about. I have a ton of feedback. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I have one last question for you. All right, I'm ready. I'm braced. Can the holy balls be busted? <laughs> Will we Prob- find out? Probably the best line of the episode. I yeah. loved it. Um, so, like, you know, the other thing about... I guess there is one more thing to talk about because you remember yesterday I talked about Sarah or, or last week I talked about uh, the biblical Sarah. Yeah, uh, she was renamed Sarah when she preposterously and inconceivably conceived a child, um, who later became the father of uh, uh, of, uh, of of Israel. Literally, mm-hmm. um, Kevin now says to her, uh, "We should have a baby together." That seems to really lean into that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Just want to just want to throw it out there. Okay. Well, um, of course, more needs to develop on that front, but yeah, and maybe that's like her destiny that she's running away from because she's the demon Azrael and she's not holy at all, right? Uh, but it's also it'd be interesting if like, what if they try and uh, and and they're they're one or the other is infertile, or maybe both. What, or if, she maybe, get, what if she gets blasted by radiation? And I, becomes I was, infertile. I was getting to like maybe. <laughs> Maybe his holy balls are in fact already busted. <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, you get blasted with radiation. Like you know, we talked about some some of the things of that, but like absolutely, one of the things that happen is you'd probably be infertile. Yeah, I mean that's shit the Nazis did when they're sterilizing people. So right. uh, not only would you look like you were ninety years old, but you would not be able to, to bear children. Hey, we talked up in the housekeeping section about how packed our weeks are here at BaldMove.com, and uh, the reason we're able to produce so much content is because the generosity of our fans uh, supporting us through Club Bald Move at club.baldmove.com. Uh, you can sign up for a low monthly or save on quarterly or yearly subscriptions, and you get a lot for uh, of mileage in return. Number one, the satisfaction of knowing you're helping keeping this uh, enterprise afloat. Uh, number two, you get a lot of uh, bonus features like ad-free feeds. So you never have to listen to these ads or the other paid uh, product placement stuff that we do. Uh, you also have access to our weekly variety show, Lunch with Jim and Aaron. You get the spoiler-filled movie takes or first-run movie takes. You get access to special features like uh, Quip and our video game playthroughs that we do exclusively for club members. Tons of stuff, and you can get previews for a lot of that stuff if you go to the club page at club.baldmove.com. Uh, so check it out. We appreciate your support. We couldn't do it without those uh, generously financially supporting us. And if that sounds like something you'd like to get into, check it out, club.baldmove.com.
If you'd like to send feedback, you can do so. Leftovers at baldmove.com for consideration. Got a lot of email, um, a lot of stuff on similar topics, and a lot that we just don't have time to read. Um, try to do my best as the uh, editor here to select some good ones. Sarah M. Interesting. Sarah. Oh, have you boy. birthed any nation, Sarah? Uh, Simeon Stiles. Stylites was a 4th century fella. This is background about the Pillar Man. Because we talked about we're not sure if there's any, you know, what what's the deal with him standing on the pillar. Mm-hmm. So 4th century pers- uh, fellow from what is now known as Turkey. At a young age, he became obsessed with Christianity. He entered a monastery as a young man but was deemed too ascetic for communal life, so they booted him out. He was too Christian for Christians. <laughs> he then locked himself away in a hut and was known for passing the whole of Lent without eating or drinking. Holy shit, 40 days That's without a- eating or drinking? Is that even possible? I don't think. No, I know for a fact you cannot go 40 days without drinking. Right. Maybe he was licking dew or something. Or maybe he was just <laughs> uh-huh. Very humid where he was. Uh, folks started to regard him as miraculous. He then started standing upright as long as his limbs would hold him. Eventually, because pilgrims and followers wanted a piece of him and he just wanted to be close to God, he climbed atop a pillar that was left over from the ruins of the Roman Empire. He figured if he could not leave the world horizontally, he would vertically separate. <laughs> Um, good, but, good call. Yeah. You know, now get on the Z axis yeah, and Jesus see what happens. Said, separate yourself from the world. You yeah. can't really do that moving horizontally. What about like a 45? A 45? Just a 45 degree. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get both. Get both happening. It's less efficient than going straight up. Get a postropedic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm trying to say is get bent. Get bent. <laughs> yeah. So they say that he would get sustenance from children who would climb up uh, to feed him or possibly using a bucket and pulley system similar to our mysterious friend in Leftovers. Hmm. Later, he became more willing to engage in his, with his followers and disciples as long as he could do it from a pillar. He would take his audience with folks who would climb up, send letters to his followers about the way to live their life. There are some remnants of these letters still, uh, apparently. Uh, our friend in the pillar in Jarden also wrote letters to a man in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's some background about the pillar guy. I feel pretty strongly that they are that they, they, they probably got that from their friend Reza, and uh, they I don't I don't know to what end, especially now that the pillar man's dead. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if any of this stuff kind of pays off. Is that why David Blaine does the stuff he does? I don't know. Apparently, she also said that uh, that's kind of a any kind of aesthetic person who lives in a pillar or like a high place is called a stylite. Okay. Named after this guy. Yeah. So there you go. So David Blaine would be a modern stylite, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Andrew B., I like, uh, can we call the followers of Kevin the Kevinth Day Adventists? <laughs> I, I, I say I like we fast track that. We push it through committee. Uh, and and uh, all in favor say aye. I, I believe the ayes have it. Aye. Kevinth yeah. Day Adventists. Done and done. Aye. Eric L., I've been rereading the book Zealot by Reza Aslan, who, as we know, is a consulting producer on the leftovers i thought i'd share a little context it gives on the weirdness of truth in biblical literature by the way i also know that reza aslan is somewhat a controversial figure right especially amongst internet folk i don't care you can listen to our podcast last year if you want to debate whether he's a jackass or he's a charlatan or whether sam harris is the worst person ever don't 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 have any 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 dog in that fight mm-hmm. um anyway in his book he says a lot of the new testament is written as much as a century after the fact, likely by, likely by committee. This email was spawned by me saying that, you know, the biblical Matthew just wrote down what he observed about Jesus. Right. Um, which is not, of course, literally true. 
Um, these were written down as much as a century after the fact, likely by committee, and is very clearly not factual nor meant to be. Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate, for example, is almost certainly made up to make the history of Jesus more palatable to a Roman audience by absolving the Romans of guilt. Historical records, Aslan notes, show that Pilate sentenced countless Jews to death without a worry or thought, much less an introspection or trial. Furthermore, there's no historical evidence for any Passover tradition that allowed prisoners to be released, as they do the whole Barabbas thing mm-hmm. um, in the Bible. This non-fact wouldn't have been seen as a deception by readers at the time, though, as Aslan continues to explain. The relationship between facts and capital T truth was much looser back then. Back then? <laughs> I think that's something coming back into style. Yeah. Uh, the facts of the story that Jesus did almost certainly not get any sort of trial aren't as important as the capital T truth that the modified story conveys, that Jesus is the Messiah. With that in mind, the new book of Matthew about Kevin is probably distinctly unlike ancient biblical texts because Matt is likely being clearer with his facts than any ancient writer would be. He's also writing about Kevin as it happens, ostensibly to record the actual happenings as opposed to writing after the fact in order to tell a greater truth with the facts aside. Who knows what's actually in that book, though, and I wonder if the show will use it to grapple with the question of facts versus capital T truth. Um, All those, I think, are pretty much... Uh, secularly true. Um, it's not, I mean, Luke and Mark were not even an apostle of Jesus. Um, Matthew, you know, the book of Matthew claims to be the historical account of the apostle Matthew. John uh, is the uh, claims to be the account of the actual apostle John. Um, but even John, I think, was written like when he was almost, like in his 90s. He's really fucking old and he wrote it. Isn't that one of the ones he wrote from prison? I don't no know. No revelation was. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I thought that was interesting, the the distinction between the biblical Matthew and the, the current Matt. Um, Chrissy, this episode went a long way towards clarifying some broad themes for me. I'm already really feeling the idea of Kevin and Nora as perfect strangers, as corny as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Outwardly, they seem to have a healthy, happy relationship, and I do not think that has been faked or manufactured in any way by either of them. After all, opposites do attract... However, more than one thing can be true. They're also quite clearly dealing with some shit. Kevin recovering from the patty of it all, the experiences he has been through, and now the book of Kevin, all of which are leading him down a path of faith. Nora, on the opposite end of the spectrum, only finds small solace in the instances of science and logic she can hang her hat on. Debunking fake departures and now potentially a scientific explanation for the departure these forces are clearly pulling the two characters in opposite directions. Yeah. I believe this will all come to a head in Australia as Kevin encounters his first set of followers and Nora, her physicist saviors. And frankly, because, as we know, the crazy meter is always on tilt in Australia. Hey, taking a shot at the lawless land of Australia. Yep. Um, that that probably will, will be popular. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've, you know, I... We stole a lot of thunder from this guy, not just the yeah. perfect strangers thing. We drank but a lot of milk. It was a milkshake. We sure did. Uh, sorry about that. I do. I, I, but yes, I, I mean, obviously, then we agree on all points. <laughs> I feel him on this coming to a head because yeah. you're right. Nora's going to have a showdown with these, you know, real life explanations of the of the uh, departure people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin is going to, it seems like, undoubtedly come across acolytes of his uh-huh. if nothing else his father yeah uh and kevin's going to have probably experiences that feed into what he's already kind of feeling and i feel like that nora if she continues on her trajectory this is going to be another disappointment like you know 
if my wildest th- th- thoughts come true, she's going to get blasted with radiation that kills a whole laboratory full of people. She'll be the sole survivor. That's that's pretty pretty uh, hitting rock bottom as far as a rationalist goes. I mean, the one thing, the one image that we have of her that makes me, you know, say, hmm, is when she's getting into that box full of styrofoam peanuts. I don't know if she's being shipped somewhere. Um, to maybe this, you know, undesignated location mm-hmm. or something, and she's not able to see it, and so they pack her away and drive her there. Right. Um, or if she, like, this is part of the procedure, and maybe she's going through with it. Uh, there's a lot of things it could be, and I don't want to speculate too much about it, but clearly she's going to follow some sort of thread down this down this rabbit hole, right? Yeah, I mean... The packing peanuts is what's weird because surely that's not a procedure. Right. Part you wouldn't of, like, think so. It'd be vapor. Like you have to be suspended in styrofoam peanuts for the I mean, the is it any weirder than I guess. anything and, else? And that's the thing, like, um with this kind of pseudoscience thing, like who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh and Mark Lynn Baker's a smart guy to, you know, but he's also clearly dealing with some shit that would impair his judgment. Um So yeah, I don't know. I had something else I wanted to to, to, to ask. And I, it's 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 done left my memory banks. So maybe it'll, I'll think of it later. Barry C. After today's episode, can you think of another instance where a celebrity played themselves in a significant role in a major drama and was not just a walk-on role? The only other instance I can think of was John Favreau playing himself in The Sopranos and quite a significant role. Neil Patrick Harris in uh, uh, what was it? Was it Dude Who Stole My Car? Was it Car- uh, Harold uh, Kumar? Harold Kumar go to White Castle? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. That was, um, yeah, I, I think there are a bunch of them. But, I mean, I think he's got a point about actual consequence through the plot because most of those things are stunt casting. It's a joke. You're not really intended to think that they're playing a version of themselves. And mm-hmm. uh, Marklin Baker did a, Baker did a lot of press uh, where he did interviews with people. I'm sure, yeah. you know, it's kind of fun for him to go and, you know, his career unexpectedly be resurrected in this way. Yeah. Um but it's 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 funny how he mentioned that it is kind of rare to be asked because he's not playing himself, right? He's playing a theoretical version of himself if he went through the uh, if he went through the the departure and had this emotional experience with it. And it's funny because yeah. he he really resisted people uh, like speculation about like you know was well, this what you would really do? And he's like it's irrele- irrelevant because. This is what you know, Damien Lindelof, Damon Lindelof, and Tom Perota have me doing in this version of this history. So, like, yeah. what I think or feel about the matter is, other than being a fan of the work, is 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 kind of ir- irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, Mark Lynn Baker is now a character in yes. the Leftovers. He's not he's not a real person in the Leftovers, right? He he's just a character that happened to exist at that point in the real world. You right. know? Like he's, he's, I guess a departure from the, the true right. person, Mark Lynn Baker at the moment that the, the like perfect strangers ended. Right. Right. And I think after that, it becomes a character. It's funny though. Cause it is interesting when you see people like when you see celebrities doing cameos, it's usually like um, Patrick Stewart or Liam Neeson on Ricky Gervais's show mm-hmm. where they're doing like an oddball take on their public persona. Right. And, you know, playing against type to, to get a humorous effect or they're showing up as their public persona. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like what, you know, what is Patrick Stewart like really? Right. 
like only his really close friends and family would ever be able to tell you. There's a Patrick Stewart you see at the conventions and mm-hmm. doing you know Enterprise commercials and all this other stuff, but that's not Patrick. That's not Patrick Stewart the man either. Yeah, it's a version of that's him. A pub, that's a, that's the, the public character that he chooses to play. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think it's that's 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 super interesting. <laughs> uh, Aaron C. Uh, all I have to say is that they don't play the theme music from National Lampoon's Vacation for Episode 3's opening. I'll be sorely disappointed. Um, so I'm not a big fan of National Lampoon's Why? Vacation. The next episode title is called Crazy Whitefella Thinking. I'm assuming mm. that's some kind of National Lampoon reference. Yeah, I'm it's, not. It, it's lost on me. Me too. Um, do you think that the rest of this – do you think that the rest of the season's intros will be as tightly coupled with the title – and the theme music as this one was, because I almost feel like Damon Lindelof would avoid that kind of thing. Yeah, if I were writing this, I would I would intentionally not do it again. Right. Um, I would do it once so it has the impact, and then, you know, it, it loses the impact with repetition. Right. Um, but then, you know, some guys like uh, Vince Gilligan lean into that shit. Yeah. I remember the first season of Breaking... or. Uh, First season of Better Call Saul, like everything ended in an O, right? Five O, Nacho, all that kind of crap. And then occasionally it comes back and it bites him in the ass. Like I, right? I don't, I don't know. Me personally, my taste would have have it being done once and then moving on to something else and keeping it fresh. Because it's no longer a surprise if you right. can guess what the theme. If you can, if you can uncrack, you know, this particular part of the show. Yeah. With 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 a simple like you know uh, cipher like oh uh, look at the quote what is that quote in reference to that's the music that's going to play yeah um, I mean the perfect strangers was just a, such an interesting fit because precisely because of the history that they'd woven throughout the show yeah um, so they I guess they got lucky and that, <laughs> I, it's not really luck because if if it turns out that Marklin Baker is uh, a moron. He dropped out of high school to pursue acting, and he currently believes in I don't know. He's a Branch Davidian or something, mm-hmm. and he would be a, a he would be a terrible person to be an to, to be someone that carries a message to Nora Durst. They could just not do that, right? Uh-huh. So it's like it's only that they're smart in that they chose the right parts of the mythology to bring forward in the show. Yeah, uh, Ben T from UK was that a flash forward at the end of the episode with Kevin Garvey Senior? It's hard to say with the timelines, and Scott Glenn always looks old. Hey, oh. <laughs> yeah. If, he, Man, if he'd kick your ass if he heard you talking that shit, Ben. I agree, but. You don't want to fuck with Scott Glenn's wiry old man strength. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say he sometimes looks like he could give Tommy Lee Jones a run for his money <laughs> in the, in the, the crag wrinkles department. Yeah. yeah the wrinkle off. Yeah. Damien wrinkle off. <laughs> um,. But I have a feeling it might be a flash forward, and it's kind of segueing on last week's episode. But hey, I've been wrong many times before because of this show. Yeah, no, I think I, you're I feel right. you on that because I if that could be Scott Glenn fifteen years in the future, it uh-huh. could be Scott Glenn after six months of being in the Australian ozone hole and not 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 <laughs> right. wearing hats, you know. No, but I'm I... not going to wear those fucking cork hats. All right, <laughs> go fuck yourself if that's what you want. That's what kidding he's... me. I'm I'm 180 years old and I still have hair this good. Get out of here. I'm not wearing a hat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I actually think you're right. I think this is a flash forward because these people have heard of Kevin. They know 
you know, of his tales. Yeah. I, I don't think word has gotten out yet. Now, I certainly could be wrong. Michael could be spreading the good news here. but yeah, Or Matt and him could have a back channel. Or Matt. Um, They're communicating through smoke signals through the television. Right, but I got the impression that Agreed. these people were not yet related to Kevin. Yes. And they clearly already knew about the, the larger Kevin, the book of Kevin. Right. So... I'm and thinking Kevin, it's some flash forward. And also Kevin Sr. would fucking know they're wrong. Right. And the other bit that we've seen in Australia this year yeah. is a flash forward, undoubtedly. So, Well, unless it's Nora after she gets blasted by... But it's still a flash forward. Okay. okay. It doesn't have to be like a long period of time. It doesn't have to be time, 20 years but, in the future, but you're right. right. It's before the... Okay, it's after... Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, where would you have ever seen on TV that scene of Nora catching Kevin choking himself? I mean, this scene is what, <laughs> what? separates some other serious dramas, maybe the exception of G- Game of Thrones. That scene was priceless, and the chemistry and the acting between them is amazing. You know that any dialogue, you knew what each character was thinking. Yeah, you don't... I mean, th- that's why I was talking about last week, man. You don't see shows where people ritually try to kill themselves. Yeah. In interesting and inventive ways. And then other ones have not. Like in a standard drama, Nora would come home and be like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You have to go see. She wouldn't just right. be like, oh, well, sure. That's what you're doing. Of course. Here's my Wu-Tang tattoo. Yeah. That's why I love it. And it's how they blend those very serious, intense moments with ridiculous ones. Right. right? Yeah. Like two grown-ass women bouncing on a trampoline to... Wu-Tang Clan. Or like, even in the brilliant. same moment, they have this ridiculous, this woman who's gotten a tattoo that she doesn't even know the name of, mm-hmm. uh, a completely ridiculous thing for Nora to do, mm-hmm. and yet it's so driven by her character and her emotions, and it's so intense. And right. it, I don't know how they managed to pull off the silly and the dramatic at the it same is, time. Because, like, you know... I am very sensitive to tonal clashes. Right. And I don't know why I like the show as much as I do because it, it pivots from serious to absurd on just just a just a dime. I mean, this episode's full of it. Mark Lynn Baker on the yeah. face of it is a ridiculous, silly thing. That's what I'm saying. Like if you if, and yet, if, if I if I would have told you like a two paragraph pitch of this episode, you would tell me that I was it's yeah. it, it's actually exactly like when Kevin said, if I told you this man had a uh-huh. picture of himself posing with a killer whale, you would say I'm lying. And then yeah. you show it and she's like, I feel like that's the audience reaction. If I told you that this episode was going to have, you know, Cousin Larry mm-hmm. from Perfect Strangers with that, like it would, it would come off something like Mr. Like a bad Mr. Robot experiment. Right. And the creators know. Yeah. The creators know exactly what they're doing with that. Well, and that's the other thing that came across with Lindelof's interview is that they watch a shit ton of television. Yeah. And in the off season, they're like, oh, my God, you can do an ALF episode? You can get away with that? Right. Throw out the script for episode two. We're getting – call up Mark Lynn Baker. Like, this stuff – Yeah. Um, I'm always thinking about like like what's going to pr- keep propelling the golden age of television. I never con- considered it, b- it being a self perpetuating machine that all these creative mm-hmm. people are seeing what all these other creative people are doing, and it further emboldens them. And yeah. even like you know like like you know the leftovers could be a, a noble failure of an experiment. Maybe that's what'll go down on because not a lot of people are watching it. Um, but what is it going to inspire? You know, like yeah. I just like what is all the. All this if, great television feeds into itself. If I were inclined to be a writer right now and I'm watching mm-hmm. what's on TV, Leftovers would be a huge inspiration for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not, the, I'm not right. that person, but that person is out there. Sure. 
yeah. and they're being informed by the leftovers right now. Right. I forget what they said. I, I, I can't. There's this, I think, a quote from a Rolling Stone about, like, hardly anyone listened to this particular band, but everyone that did formed a band in response to it. And then, like, that's, like, made Led Zeppelin and Cream and, like, all that. I, 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 right, I'm, I'm right. fucking it all up, but, like, I do, like... Only like a million people are watching The Leftovers, but every one of these people are going to start and make a television show in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll blow my brains out because there's just too much. But anyway, um, Dan from Manchester loved the latest episode, but want to discuss a line from last week. After deputizing the Gary Busey boys, Kevin says to Tommy, see what happens when you make people feel important? I think that line will sum up Kevin's trajectory this season. Hmm. We know from the flashback episodes in season one that Kevin has been searching for a greater purpose his entire life, and he gets told by Kevin Sr. that man has no greater purpose. After dying three times and coming back and being told by people that you're special, somebody searching for a purpose could easily start to believe it, especially in a post-departure world. We even see in episode two how he clearly has a different view of the book than Nora, and that perhaps he's starting to believe it. Um, I buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this is like um, in leftovers fashion. We're going to come to understand that none of this is supernatural. This is just what happens when you make people feel important. Yeah, and you know, going back to my skeptic Aaron hat, the universe can do that through no fault of its own. Yeah, um, the universe can make you feel like you're more important than you are just from happenstance and random chain. Like, there's a guy. I think he's a park ranger who's been struck by lightning seven times. Oh, God. And he actually, I saw an interview with him where he's got like a collection of his ranger hats with the tops like blown off. (laughs) And like, I I think... What is this man doing at night? Like like this guy was born 400 years ago. He might be worshipped as a god. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he probably would be. Um, Or like, honestly, if he had the slight, just the slightest of screws loose, Mm -hmm. he might himself buy into that and form a cult. Like that's the difference between... You know, a date like a guy, this park ranger gets struck by seven lightnings, like, you know, no big deal. And like fucking David Koresh mm-hmm. um, or any other person that builds a, the cult around themselves. It's. Yeah, oh, I mean, you see that in business. You see yeah. that in all arenas of life. Yeah. People tell you that you are a certain thing and you become that thing. Yeah. Like if, if, if his timing was off six months either way, Steve Jobs could just be some, you know, skinny nerd screaming at dudes in a garage. Yeah. And you'd never hear of him. Or on a message board shouting right. at people, right? right. Like, oh, right. your products suck. Right. But my should only have one button. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, that's all we have for feedback. If you'd like to send us more, if you'd like to uh, like to be considered for feedback on the podcast, you can send it in to leftovers at baldmove.com. Um, we also had a ton of musicians come forward to volunteer music. Uh, something that we need to talk about offline and kind of I, I said as I was uh, going through the the feedback I responded to each one and said thanks for your volunteering we're going to give it a listen and talk about what we're going to do um, that's it for this week uh, we'll see you next week until then I am the drunken desperado and I'm the lucky leader mm-hmm.